0: That was a message God wanted us to hear and was worth waiting for. In 1999, Kevin Stefan of Lancaster, New York was a 10-year-old bat boy for his younger brother's little league baseball team. And during one of the games, a player who was warming up accidentally hit Kevin in the chest with a baseball bat. Kevin fell to the ground unconscious And his heart stopped beating all I remember Kevin said later is that all of a sudden I got hit in the chest with something and I turned around and passed out well fortunately a nurse whose son also played on the team was able to come and give Kevin the attention that he needed and get his heart restarted and get him revived and Kevin and his family later learned that the nurse, Penny Brown, was supposed to be at work that day, but had unexpectedly gotten the day off and she had come to the game to watch her son play. Seven years later, <clears throat> in January of 2006, that nurse, Penny Brown, was eating at the Hillview restaurant in Depew, New York, when she began to choke on her food. The food wasn't going anywhere, and I totally couldn't breathe, she said. It was very frightening. Patrons in the restaurant began screaming for someone to help, and one of the restaurant employees, a volunteer firefighter, came out of the back, wrapped his arms around Penny, and performed the Heimlich maneuver and saved her life. And when the emergency was over, Penny and her rescuer recognized each other because... The person who had saved Penny's life was the now 17 year old Kevin Stefan, the same boy that Penny had saved seven years earlier on the baseball field. Well, that amazing little story is in some ways illustrative of the message that I have for you this morning that comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's right after what we talked about last week, and it's only one verse. You probably don't have to look it up because I suspect many, if not most, maybe all of you, could quote it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the Law and the Prophets. Now we know it better probably by the version in Luke chapter 6 from the King James which says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's probably how we were taught it when we were children and how we try to teach it to our children and grandchildren. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a simple, straightforward statement that ought to be simple to do, shouldn't it? A very simple rule. How much trouble should it be just to treat people the way we would like them to treat us? Jesus basically says the whole law is summed up in that one thing. Treating others the way we would want to be treated. The law would not be necessary if we could all just do that. Simple thing, right? But the flesh rears its ugly head and plays havoc with our good intentions. That old sinful nature that we're supposed to have victory over, walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, the Scripture says. But we still wrestle with it, don't we? In fact, the sinful nature within us works against us, sometimes even without us realizing it. For example, some years ago there was a study done of 400 drivers in a shopping mall parking lot. And that study discovered that drivers took longer To pull out of a parking space if someone was waiting for that parking space than they did when no one was waiting for that parking space. On average, if nobody was waiting, drivers took 32.2 seconds to pull out of a spot after first opening their car door. If someone was waiting, drivers took about 39 seconds. And if the waiting driver honked to hurry the other driver up, the other driver took 43 seconds to pull out. The flesh too often gets in our way, and sometimes without our even recognizing it. But if we can keep the sinful nature at bay and just treat others the way we would like to be treated, then we can enjoy successful interpersonal relationships not only in the church, but also in the world around us. We call this the golden rule, don't we? That's how it's known in secular circles at least. And it's often been noted that the golden rule is found in a similar, but almost always negative form in ancient non-biblical writings. Confucius, for example, supposedly said, Do not to others what you would not wish done to yourself. The Stoic philosophers had a saying that was almost identical to that. In the Old Testament Apocrypha it says, Do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. According to the Jewish Talmud, about a couple of decades before Christ, there was a would-be convert who came up to the famous rabbis, Hillel and Shammai, and asked them to teach him the whole law while standing on one foot. Now, the reason for that is, of course, uh, you're going to get to the point if you're standing on one foot. You're, you're a little uncomfortable. You can't take a whole long time to explain everything. And Well, Shamai, as the story goes, was, was so angry with the man that he just ran him off. But Hillel, on the other hand, did respond and apparently referred to this verse in the Apocrypha. Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, all the rest is only commentary. Maybe Jesus knew of what Hillel had said, after all it was in the Talmud. But Jesus changes it. He frames his instruction positively. Do to others what you would have them do to you. The negative form is just a a good rule of prudence for life. Uh, Don't hurt others or they may retaliate. They may hurt you. But the positive form is absolute. This is how you are to treat others no matter how they treat you. The ethic of Jesus is not just a live and let live kind of approach. It is proactive. It says to do to others what you would like done to you. It's the practical application of the Old Testament command that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That commandment that Jesus called the second greatest commandment. Second only to loving God with all of our being. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. That's why Jesus can say this sums up all of the law and the prophets. That's why it's called the golden rule, not the silver rule or the bronze rule. It's the golden rule, right? It transforms us and transforms our actions toward others. If we put ourselves in the place of others and wish for that person what we would wish for ourselves, then we will never be mean, but always thoughtful Never harsh, but always understanding. Never cruel, but always kind. And we would be forgiving, wouldn't we? We seem to struggle with that sometimes, but we all make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we want others to be understanding of us. We want others to be patient with us. And yet we sometimes will not return the favor. We're not patient and understanding with others when they mess up, when they do something wrong, when they make their mistakes. And what one of us hasn't caused offense to someone without intending to at all? Don't we wish that that person would give us the benefit of the doubt and just say, well, I know he couldn't have meant it that way. I know she wasn't thinking that. Do we give others the benefit of the doubt when they say something that seems offensive to us? We want others to treat us that way. Are we treating others that way? Are you? If not, then guess what? You're breaking the golden rule. The the law that that Jesus says sums up all of the law and the prophets. If you don't get this right, you're really guilty of breaking all of it. Scripture says breaking just one of the commandments makes us guilty, guilty of all. And if if that is ever the case, it's certainly so in this case, isn't it? Now notice that Jesus did not say do unto others in order that they will do unto you. That is, the motivation is not manipulation in order to get something from someone, to get you to to treat you well, that you treat them well in order to get that, with that as the goal. We ought to treat others well just as a matter of course, as a matter of character, because this, Jesus says, is how citizens of His kingdom live. The Sermon on the Mount is all about living as a citizen of the Kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, Kingdom citizens do unto others as they would have others do unto them. Just because. Because we're like Christ, because we want to be like Christ. And remember that Jesus said, or what Jesus said about doing good to others, Later on in Matthew chapter 25, as he told a story there, he said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it unto me. So we, I think, would not be wrong to rephrase Jesus' instruction here to say, Do unto others as you would do unto me. Treat others the way you would treat. Jesus. Treat others well. The choir sang, sometimes we entertain angels unawares. Do unto others as you would unto Jesus. You wouldn't wouldn't, uh, malign Jesus, would you? You wouldn't gossip about Jesus, would you? You wouldn't ignore Jesus, you wouldn't neglect Jesus, would you? then we don't treat others that way either. Now, having said that, there is nonetheless some wisdom in regard to interpersonal dynamics here. I don't think it would be wrong to say that if you want people to be kind to you, it certainly doesn't hurt if you're kind to them, does it? If you want them to be nice, it doesn't hurt to be nice to them. The Scripture does say we reap what we sow and... I've discovered that if you are friendly with others, they are far more likely to be friendly with you. And the opposite is true as well. If you are rude to others, chances are much higher that they're going to return that rudeness in kind, aren't they? If you're short with others, it's more likely that they'll be short with you. If you complain it's likely they may complain. If you hold a grudge against someone, it's much more likely they may hold that same grudge against you for doing so. It's amazing sometimes how people will respond if you treat them well, the way you would like to be treated. Sometimes you can change a person's perspective. In fact, that's part of what God wants us to do is Christ followers to help change the minds of the people out there beyond these doors about who Christ is and what He came to do. You'd be amazed sometimes how people will respond. I, I, I took a job the summer after my freshman year in college. I was still just 18 years old. Took a summer job in my hometown working for the local Coca Cola distributor. And I didn't know it at the time, but he had a reputation for being the meanest man in town. And in fact, the day I started, he said to me, if you can't do this job, don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out. <laughs> Using a bit more earthy language than that. <clears throat> well, I, I didn't really know what his concern was. I just did the job. I mean, I didn't do anything really special. I respected him. And, and did what he asked me to do, went around town filling vending machines and retrieving the coins and putting them in a bank bag, bringing them back, um, loading trucks. Back in the days when they had glass bottles that weighed a ton, you had to pick up those glass bottles after, you, after they were finished and give them their you know, return and all of that. We worked from 6 in the morning till 5 in the evening with an hour off for lunch. But I did my job, did what he expected and he became one of my best advocates. He gave me a raise from $3.25 an hour to $3.50 an hour. (laughs) And he became one of my biggest supporters, one of my biggest advocates. In fact, I had opportunity to preach in a little church across town, Baptist Church. I hadn't been in ministry a year, hadn't preached. You could count on one hand the number of times I'd preached and you would not have wanted to hear what I had to say in those days, but he came and brought a friend of his to hear me preach. He was wonderful to me. In fact, a decade later, long after I had moved to Texas to go to seminary, he called me up on the telephone out of the blue one day and said, hey, we're coming down to go to a Texas Rangers baseball game. I want you and your wife to come and join us. And we did, and he didn't let us pay for a thing. And, you know, that summer I was just 18 years old. What did I know about life? I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to make myself look good here, and I apologize if I have, but he responded in such a wonderful way. My dad told me later, he said, I didn't think you'd last a week working for him. But he was wonderful to me. Try putting this verse into practice in your life. Try treating others the way you would like to be treated. Respecting them because you would like their respect in return going out of the way, going the extra mile for them because that's what you would like them to do for you. And see if it doesn't have an impact. I'm not saying it always will but sometimes it will. And God wants us to do that for Him, for His kingdom. And that brings me to one very important application of this verse something as a matter of fact you've Already been singing about in the worship service. And that is this if you did not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you want someone to tell you about him? If you didn't know about God's saving grace, the good news of the gospel, would you want someone to share that with you? Well, of course you would. So Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Share with them what you would want to be shared with you if you were in their shoes. Regardless of how they hear it, regardless of how they respond, it's an expression of your caring and your concern for who they are. Because we are all created in the image of God. And it is not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of His goodness and grace in Jesus Christ. So the invitation today is to do what Jesus asks us to do. Treat others the way we would like to be treated ourselves. And I'll finish this morning with a story of some some guys who did that. In the fall of 2002, Jake was a 17-year-old high school student who had been born with chromosomal Fragile X Syndrome, a common cause of intellectual disability. So Jake couldn't read. He could barely write his name, but he was in school going on, and he loved football. So he joined the football team, and he went to every single practice that they had, even though, of course, they couldn't let him play, but at Northwest High in McDermott, Ohio, Jake was one of the most faithful football players they had on the team. And Jake's coach, Dave France, wanted to do something special for Jake. So before a game that fall against Waverly High, coach France called his friend Derek DeWitt, the head coach at Waverly High. And France suggested that both teams let Jake run one play at the end of the game assuming the game wasn't on the line. Jake would get the ball, he would take a knee, and the clock would run out, and the game would be over. And Coach DeWitt thought that was a fine idea, he agreed to it. And so, later in the game, Waverly, in fact, was leading 42 to nothing, time was running out, so with five seconds left on the clock, Coach France called a timeout. The coaches met in the middle of the field, Jake trotted out to the huddle, and Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated picks the story up from there. He says, fans could see there was a disagreement. Coach DeWitt was shaking his head and waving his arms. After a referee stepped in, play resumed and Jake got the ball. He started to kneel as he'd practiced all week, but teammates stopped him, told him to run. But Jake started running in the wrong direction. The back judge rerouted him toward the line of scrimmage. And suddenly, the Waverly defense parted like peasants for the king and urged Jake to go on his grinning sprint to the end zone. Imagine having 21 teammates on the field. In the stands, mothers cried and fathers roared. Players on both sidelines held up their helmets to the sky and whooped. Apparently, Riley says, when the coaches met before the big play, Jake's coach, Dave France, had reminded Coach DeWitt of the plan that Jake would simply take a knee. But DeWitt wasn't satisfied. He said, No, I want him to score. DeWitt called his defense over. He said, They're going to give the ball to number 45. Don't touch him. Open up a hole and let him score. You understand? And Jake had the run of his life all because of Coach DeWitt and the others there being unselfish and treating him the way they would want to be treated were they in his shoes. It got written up in Sports Illustrated. Jesus said, this sums up the law and the prophets." He asks us to treat others the way we would like to be treated. So let's do it, shall we? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, You have treated us better than we deserve. You sent Your Son Jesus to the cross to pay the price for our sins, raised Him on the third day for our justification, as Scripture says, giving us an opportunity to step out of our desperate circumstances and enter into your kingdom, have relationship with you, to live as a citizen of your kingdom which is not temporal but eternal. And you have asked us to live as a citizen of that kingdom in the here and the now, to treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to think of others when we enter into our days. When someone wrongs us, help us to respond as graciously as you would. Help us to reflect the character of Christ. No matter how others behave, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, who their friends are, what their opinions or their politics are. Help us, God, to treat others as we would like to be treated. And we know that as we do, we will give our Lord Jesus the praise He deserves. We ask this in His name. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response.